Hi there, and welcome to episode 16 of The Epic Pencil, a bi-weekly venue for writing and writers. I'm your host, Chris Watson, and I'm glad you could join me for this week's episode, The Locked Door Was Open. I'm finding that when writing a mystery, the fun stuff is easy to write. It's the structure of the mystery, the ins and outs, the red herrings, the complexity that will hopefully make it a fun read. That's the hard stuff. I recently used a writing prompt that read, The door you had locked is wide open, to kickstart a bit of creative output. As I mulled it over, I decided not to get all personal or memoirish, but rather employ it as part of a scene that wasn't going to end well. So as with the death of Melanie Buck, revealed in an earlier episode, I've managed to kill off another unsuspecting citizen of Shelton's Cove, Maine, and don't quite know why. I'm sure my murderer has a reason. I just haven't figured it out yet, which thankfully doesn't mean I'm a sociopath. I'm just a writer who's gotten out over his skis a bit on this particular book. So without further ado, here's another excerpt, a first draft almost hot off the presses, from the story of local cop Jeff McClernand. Frederick Chamberlain Garrett, retired lobsterman, father of two, grandfather of seven, and loving husband of the late Pamela Lazenby Garrett, strolled up the broken shell driveway to the cottage that he and his wife had called home for more than fifty years. Overhead, the limbs of the evergreens creaked in the pine-scented breeze. Oil Can, the Irish setter named after Fred's favorite Red Sox pitcher from the 80s, trotted at his side, occasionally making a minor detour to sniff the brilliant yellow and dark crimson scotch broom growing alongside the driveway. Fred hummed as he walked, a satisfied little ditty following a particularly successful bird-watching foray. His Nikon Monarch binoculars hung from his shoulder. They'd been a lavish Christmas gift three years before from his eldest daughter, Michelle, now a successful investment broker in Boston. Knowing how much her father and mother had enjoyed birdwatching, she purchased the binoculars as a means of encouraging him to leave the house following her mother's death. It had worked, Fred remembered with a chuckle. Who buys an old man a pair of $600 binoculars only to have them sit on the shelf gathering dust? He only regretted that Pam hadn't been alive to enjoy watching the white-winged and red crossbills with such clarity when they descended from Canada with their distinctive jip-jip cries. He looked away from Oil Can, who was squatting and doing her business in the brush, and stopped. The cottage, with its weathered shingles and comfortable wraparound porch, was directly in front of him, while his old jeep sat parked in its usual spot. That's odd. I locked the front door, didn't I? He said to himself. The door, painted a deep green with antique dark fittings, was halfway open, revealing the shadowed interior. He was sure he'd locked it. He always did after that incident eight years before when kids from out of state wandered in and got drunk while he and Pam were visiting friends for the evening. He stared for a moment, feeling oil cam brush up against his hand as she came to his side. Nothing else looked out of place, and after a moment he shook his head. Clearly, he'd forgotten this time, and the breeze had simply blown the door open. With a shrug, he climbed the stairs, pushed open the door, and entered the cottage. Base Unit 2, come in 2. The radio crackled, 
and Margot leaned over to lift the handset as I steered the 4x4 down the winding Mount Cabot Road, where we'd just had a heart-to-heart with two families immersed in a squabble about who got what campsite. The Hatfields and the McCoys, they were not. Go ahead, base. Margot, honey, can you and Jeff swing by Fred Garrett's place? A neighbor reports that the door is open, oil can is running loose, and Fred isn't answering when she calls in from the door. Margot glanced at me. I nodded and mouthed, five minutes max. Roger that, base, she replied. ETA, five minutes. Tell the neighbor to hang tight if you still got them on the line. We reached the base of the mountain, turning back out onto the main road. I pressed the accelerator, flipped on the light bar, and headed north. Bonnie Jacoby was pacing nervously by her late model LeBaron, the latest in a thickening stack of Jesus Saves bumper stickers already beginning to fade from sun and salt. She trotted toward us, waving back at the homey cottage behind her with one hand and holding oil cans leash in the other. Oh, Jeff, Margot, I'm so worried. Margot smiled reassuringly as she climbed down from the truck. It's okay, Bonnie, we're here now. Tell me what happened. Bonnie took a deep breath. I told Fred that I'd be bringing him some ham and broccoli casserole. I was making it for me and Gary and always made some extra for Fred, you know, ever since Pamela died. I got here and saw oil cans standing by the open door looking in. When she saw me, she began whining and then running around. I managed to get her on her leash. She looked at Margot and then at me. I'm worried. Fred never leaves his door open like that and oil cans shouldn't be loose. I nodded. All right, Bonnie, why don't you stay here while Margot and I check things out? She nodded emphatically, relief washing over her face now that someone in authority was here to take charge. I knocked on the open door, and it creaked even farther open. Fred? Fred, are you in here? It's Jeff McLernan and Margot Anderson from the police department. The house was silent. Fred, if you're in here, we're going to come inside and check on you, okay? I stepped into the hallway and waved Margot into the sitting room to the right as I walked down the hall toward the kitchen. When I got there, I froze. Well, shit. Was that? Called Margot from the other room. What'd you say? I said, well, shit. I replied, Fred Garrett's dead. Are you serious? I heard her moving through the house toward me. Yeah, you better call Uncle Todd. He and Harry need to get out here. I don't think he just keeled over from a bad ticker. Why do you say that? And she broke off as she peered around me and saw the old lobsterman on the floor, his eyes wide and head twisted around like something out of the exorcist. Oh, shit. Yeah, my sentiments exactly. Bonnie Jacoby stood by her car, wringing her hands in worry as we stepped out of the cottage. Is Fred all right? I was so worried when I came by and saw his door open. Fred would never do that, ever. He's always so careful. She looked at me, and then at Margot, eyes wide with hope. That hope suddenly died, no doubt extinguished by the looks on her faces. Oh, oh no, oh no, dear Lord in heaven, she whispered, trembling fingers flying to her lips. As Margot got on the radio and called the station... I opened the tailgate and grabbed my gear from the investigation kit. Two minutes later, I was gloved with covers over my boots and back inside Fred's house. There was no sense checking for a pulse. 
If his head had been spun any farther around, he would have been looking forward again. I glanced up and around, taking in the faded photos of his old lobster boat, the Lady Pam, Pamela and Fred on their wedding day, and the myriad photos of their family as several generations' worth covered the walls, tables, and bookshelves. The floor creaked as Margot entered the room. What the fuck is going on here, Margot? What do you mean? This is a nice, quiet town. Sure, we get domestics, drunks, and disorderlies, bar fights, crimes of passions, and suicides, but what the hell is going on that we've had two murders in the space of a week? What the hell is going on indeed? Damned if I know, but I'm looking forward to figuring out the twists and turns as I continue to work on this bit of fun. I hope you enjoyed it. I'm always looking for feedback, so you can reach me via my website, pretendingtowrite.com, where you'll find other podcast episodes, a weekly writing prompt, and more. Thanks for joining me, and until the next episode, enjoy a great book or two, and please remember to support your local, independent bookseller. The Epic Pencil is copyright 2020 by Christopher Watson.